Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about sex magic. So, this is our 69th episode. Nice. So it just felt appropriate to have this be the topic of discussion. That being said, this is going to be a particularly explicit episode. So disclaimer, if such discussion is not your cup of tea, then it may be worth considering giving this one a skip. But if this is a topic that you're interested in or just willing to listen to me ramble on about, then thank you. So, Nathan, why should we have such a discussion? Because it's funny. Okay, so more seriously, um, <laughs> when it comes down to it, sex is a part of life, be it as it, um, even though we may try to hide it uh, in society at times uh, out of politeness, but it is a thing. So the big question when it comes down to it, when you're in the fantasy world where there is magic is... How do you use that for uh, such things? Exactly. As you said, sex is a part of life, quite literally, in fact. And to not to pretend that it doesn't exist would just be lying to ourselves and to you. So what we're going to be focusing on for this episode is how to use the magic of in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons towards sexual purposes. And there are a few angles that should also be mentioned before we fully dive in, which is the fact that, number one, there are a lot of spells that are directly applicable. There are also a lot of spells where you need to kind of tilt your head a little bit, and definitely, if you're on the player side of things, get your dungeon master to agree that you can kind of twist the rules a little bit to use the spell as you are intending. So. Also, to dive a little bit more into the subject of why, then it is probably worth mentioning of where it may or may not be appropriate to use some of the things that we're talking about in this episode. So to put it bluntly, humanity as a whole can be incredibly perverted. If you have powers to literally warp reality, there are going to be people who use it for that purpose. So if you have magic users that can cast a spell like Alter Self, you can bet that the first thing, you know, a young adult wizard would cast if they learn that spell is to give themselves a bigger dick for a while. Because they Biggest would. Biggest <laughs> uh, Or to borrow the Harry Potter one, Engorgio. <laughs> like, there is no question that wizards and... Harry Potter in D&D absolutely would use any of the spells to enlarge an object to try to enlarge their penis. I mean, in the real world, that is a multi-billion dollar industry. I googled it just out of curiosity before this episode. I'd like, imagine that <laughs> that there were like imagine the kind kinds of ac embarrassing accidents that you could have. I'm, I'm I'm sure it's certain that people have embarrassing accidents in regards to this kind of thing in real life. Yes. But imagine it's just like um, I can't walk anymore because it's uh, it can't even fit through the door. I, I too much magic apparently. <laughs> I mean, even in the real world, you can ask any doctor acquaintances or friends, you know, but preferably someone that you know well, otherwise it's probably much more awkward. Just the kinds of stories that get accumulated of the weird things that people put in their butts. That happens way more and with way more variety than I'd have expected. But considering, again, in a magical world, I can only imagine that, you know, clerics or just healers in general would have that much worse the time of things and just that much more strange things that they come across. But anyway, so that all being said, let's start off with some of the things that are directly usable where you don't actually need to twist any of the rules to make it usable in a sexual manner. So 
of course, me being me, the first thing that I would have come to mind is prestidigitation, the best spell in the multiverse. I figured you would tease me about that. Okay, better. Moving on. But anyway, prestidigitation, the fact that it does create the harmless sensory effect, such as shower of sparks, puff of wind, faint musical notes, or an odor. So part of the beauty of the spell prestidigitation is that such as is such a frequent part of things. So you can use that in creative ways up to a point, as long as you don't go too far with things. So the fact that it does a sensory effect technically could be stretched to touch. So if you wanted to, you could, like, if allowed, you could get that spell to just mimic touch against a person within 10 feet of you, as that is the range of the spell. Also, the fact that you can instantly clean or soil an object could certainly be useful. Um, I may have actually made mention of this in a... I don't remember if it was a behind-the-scenes or actually if it made it to episode, but a debate came up of my love of prestidigitation that if a magic user in D&D made a butt plug of prestidigitation that was just enchanted with the cleaning aspect of the spell to make it to where you no longer needed to poop, then that is absolutely something that I would use because I don't I find that to be disgusting. So, yes, that is technically something that some people are sexually interested in, but I am emphatically not interested in that angle of things. So to have a magic item that would completely eliminate that necessity for my life is quite appealing. On the other hand, should someone be interested in anal sex, then that spell would also be applicable to make sure that there is no such residue in place to keep everything clean. And the fact that also the fact that you can flavor up to one cubic foot of non-living matter could also potentially be interpreted to, you know, flavor sexual fluids, whether male or female. So if you wanted to, you could just, you know, give yourself you know, vanilla flavored cum, or I don't know, your female partner could be flavored of strawberry or any such thing, because there's no actual written limit to prestidigitation itself. Also, considering that that spell has that effect for up to an hour, an argument could be made that if you just cast that spell on your testicles, then that might be just applied ahead of the fact. And I would argue that that would be a reasonable usage of the spell. And honestly, considering the default, let's call it, that is definitely one that could be advantageous to the world to be available in such a way. Um, Actually, that does remind me. Uh, One other thing that I just should mention is the fact that, at least to the best of my knowledge, the subject of birth control is not ever mentioned in 5th edition. However, I would argue that that is such a commonly desired effect in just life that such a thing would exist and would be either a cantrip or potentially a leveled spell for some longer-lasting version, or even just an effect added on to something like prestidigitation or thaumaturgy or druidcraft or any of the various, you know, creative type powers. So if that is something that you just want to include in your world, that is something that I would definitely suggest considering and considering exactly how easy you would want such to be. Uh, Actually, that also reminds me, Uh, I actually realized also that I distracted myself through this discussion and I mentioned why you would want to use any of the things that we're going to talk about. And in short, such things do occasionally come up in Dungeons and Dragons. Sometimes you do flirt with, you know, the pretty barmaid or some such, or you have the bard or rogue in the party who's trying to, you know, sleep with everything that moves. And in such a situation, it can be valuable for the players to know how much they can get away with and for the DMs to actually have some form of idea about the kind of situations that can come up as well as potential rules that they can use to do such things. However, always remember that uh, before you bring anything in of this nature up in a session, understand where everyone stands in regards to such topics so as not to have an awkward situation where you have people uncomfortable. 
Indeed. I definitely do suggest for the most part that most people use the fade to black. You know, you decide whether it is just through a quick in-character, you know, flirt, or if it is just via a role to see if you flirt effectively, that having a decision one way or another about where the line of acceptability is, is definitely something that I would say is worth establishing before you actually make the attempt to actually just have that in table discussion. Like, I think we've even talked about it before when talking about the social contract and session zero and such, that it is important to understand where the line of acceptability at the table is. So if you want to just have it be you discuss and fade to black, totally fine. If you want to actually say, you know, I use X, Y, and Z spells to make it a particularly interesting experience, then you could do that. And I mean, you know, anime like interspecies reviewers is a thing that has gotten more popular now. And that is an anime that is completely about a bunch of people reviewing fantasy brothels and well, giving it reviews, hence the title. So if you did want to play, you know, a more lighthearted campaign kind of in that tone of things, then it could be incredibly advantageous to have, you know, the idea of what is usable for such. So that being said, moving along. So prestidigitation obviously is going to be my go to. But there's actually a lot of other even cantrips that can still be quite useful. So if you've got a, you know, cleric, druid or artificer, then the guidance cantrip is also a particularly nice one because that simply gives you a D4 added to any ability check that you make. So if you are making a flirtation role or, you know, a performance role, if that's the stat that you decide to use for such things, then the ability to add a D4 as a cantrip, you know, could boost your character's reputation as a lover. Now, another fun one, Mage Hand. So Mage Hand, within 30 feet, allows you to conjure a spectral floating hand with the arcane trickster even having the additional benefit of that hand becoming invisible. So this one is potentially problematic, but is also one of the ones that most people would think of to use first for naughty reasons. But even in, you know, I don't want to use the word normal, uh, normal, just a consensual interaction with someone, the ability to have a third hand available could be advantageous. There is one downside, though, which is that you do not feel the sensation of touch from a mage hand. So I would actually say that this is a situation where it would be somewhat amusing if like a particularly perverted wizard apprentice invented, you know, an uncommon magic item you know, just that granted the ability to feel through the mage hand, because again, that is not something that I'm personally okay with, but there is no doubt in my mind that if such magic were available, that someone would absolutely do so. Another fun cantrip on the list, mending. So this one requires a little bit more thought, but it just was one that came to mind for me which is the idea of a lot of people are into bondage in some form or another. But the idea of if you were to, say, have a chain or a rope or some form of restraint that you cut and then use the mending spell to link together, you then have a bondage situation that has no lock and cannot be untied. And the person in question is tied and restrained until the chain or rope is actually broken. And that little bit extra restraint can definitely be enticing to those interested in such things. Shape water is another of the severely underestimated cantrips in my view. In the Elemental Evil Player's Companion, there is a set of new elemental cantrips that are not in the player's handbook that are introduced through that. And all of them have just a number of good utility use in general, but for the sake of this, Shape Water is definitely the one that grabs my attention. And yes, of course, I am well aware of the movie Shape of Water, which was a very, very horny movie in its own right. But that is simply coincidence by the name of the spell. Pretty sure the spell is older than the movie, actually. Anyway, 
Shapewater, much like Prestidigitation and such, gives a lot of a list of abilities that are water related. So you can move or change the flow of water up to five feet. However, it's the second one that definitely grabbed my attention here. You cause the water to form into simple shapes and animate at your discretion. This change lasts for one hour. So, for those who are into tentacles, this gives you the ability to animate water at your direction. And it does say simple shapes, plural. So, there's technically no limit to the spell, and it even has a spell range of up to 30 feet. So, this spell is a cantrip that is actually incredibly versatile for the sake of sex. The fact that you can have water shaped into restraints. You could have water into the shape and use of tentacles. Uh, there's also the fact that you have the ability to freeze water, which you could argue that, especially against a willing companion, that you could use that to freeze restraints into place to do that when all that you have available is water. So shape water, I would argue, is the most potentially versatile cantrip for the sake of sex. And one more fun cantrip, minor illusion. This one is another incredibly versatile spell, but is a lot more limited. So minor illusion does only have a five foot area of effect, even though it does have a decent range, but it allows you to create an image or a sound. So this one could be quite useful if you do have someone restrained, if you do have someone, you know, blindfolded and such to simply cr create whatever the missing sensation is. Like if you have someone blindfolded and then you could use this cantrip to just whisper in their ear as you're doing other things physically. So to be able to make any sounds that you choose, you could use it to potentially create, you know, white noise in the background to just make it that much more difficult for someone to know what you're doing. It is just another of those spells that is creativity based in terms of how it can be used. So I believe that's all the cantrips I've got available. So let's move on up the spell list to other useful things. So another one that since I do end up talking about so much bondage so far and honestly more coming ahead, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the second level spell, Detect Thoughts, because this one is an incredibly useful one for the sake of understanding where the actual line of acceptability is, because in any type of BDSM relationship, then the most important thing is actually trust from both sides to each other that the lines that they agree on in advance will not be crossed. And the ability of the dominant in the relationship having the ability to see into their partner's head to know that someone is, you know, uncomfortable but excited and to know when the excitement side starts to die down as things go too far, to know that as things are happening can be incredibly, incredibly valuable. Not to mention that even though Detect Thoughts is a spell that only lasts for a minute, there is also the magic item, uh, where is it? I don't remember the name offhand and I can't find the tab, but there is a headband that actually grants infinite use of detect thoughts so if you have access to that magic item then you have no limitation on seeing into your partner's head and not to mention even in a other style of relationship if you do have willing agreement from either one or both parties in all honesty in a relationship to just see into each other's heads to know this is how i'm feeling right now this is what i think about this thing than just having that deepened level of communication to see the actual thoughts in your partner's head can be incredibly valuable just for a loving relationship. And another particularly useful spell now, Enhance Ability, another second level, with a concentration up to an hour duration. And this is a fun one because it is another of the slightly versatile spells because you basically get to pick any of the six ability scores and get advantage on any checks 
using that. So you can choose the Eagle's Splendor sub-option for it to get advantage on your charisma checks to try to flirt with someone. You could use, you know, Bear's Endurance for uh, if you are asked to roll a constitution check. Like, depending on whatever stat or situation you find yourself in, that could be an incredibly useful spell. And again, up to an hour makes that quite nice indeed. Uh, Also, just a little fun fact, because higher level casting of that spell can target an additional person, you could choose to just cast that on both yourself and your partner to just make it mutually beneficial. And let's see, one more for the bonded scene. Immovable object. So second level spell with a solid one hour duration, no concentration required. Uh, I should mention, however, that this is one from the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount, which is technically limited to just the Graviturge wizard. But again, if you do decide to not use those rules or just if the character in question is a Graviturge wizard, then fine. And what this does is magically fix an object in place that can hold up to 4,000 pounds of weight. And as I'm sure most of you can imagine, then if you do have such a thing in place, that could be incredibly powerful for someone into the bondage scene. Um, Another one that I'm not super fond of in this context, but must be mentioned for the sake of completeness, invisibility. So obviously, in a world where invisibility exists as a second level spell to most magic using classes, there's gonna be perverts that use invisibility to peep. It's, It's just inevitable. I do not find that acceptable, but I have to acknowledge that it would happen a lot. Yay, magic. Yeah, grumble, grumble. Like, I I can (laughs) only imagine, just given the sheer amount of magic that does exist for potentially perverted purposes, like, it must be super hard to just set up the defenses of a, like, magic academy for privacy's sake. Because, like... Oh, yeah, that would be a huge part. I cannot imagine that Harry Potter, who has an invisibility cloak as a hormonal teenager, like, never thought to go to the girls' showers, like... Come on. Uh, that, that's in the secret book. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like, I can, like, I can only, like, if I can understand, it's a children's book, so they wouldn't want to mention such things. But, like, in the real world, or just in a real world, I should say, then I cannot imagine that anyone with access to invisibility who is a, you know, human with functional hormones would not at least consider such a thing, especially during the midst of puberty. Anyway, another fun one, Rope Trick, a.k.a. Quiet Place for a Quickie, the spell. So as a single action, it has a one-hour duration that does not require concentration, so you could also still use other fun spells, that gives you an extra-dimensional space for that one hour where you are safe, you are hidden, And I can only imagine that that is another spell that would get put to a lot of use. So the next up is another one that I am not okay with, but can't not mention, which is suggestion. So any of the various charm type spells can be misused. Um, But again, I shouldn't not mention that possibility just because that should be at least on a DM's radar as a thing that, you know, could use protection against or just for laws of what is acceptable behavior in your world, since we did also talk about criminal justice a couple weeks ago. But suggestion, you can magically influence a creature in range. Uh, suggestion must be worded in such a manner as to make the course of action sound reasonable. Asking a creature to stab itself or other harmful act ends the spell. So it does thankfully have that limitation. Define harmful. Exactly. And that's where things get very fuzzy. So especially considering that suggestion is, is a second level spell with a duration of concentration up to eight hours. That is one of the spells that I would say is incredibly likely to have people try to misuse it. And that sucks. Anyway, back to the less dark side of things. Zone of Truth, another of my favorite spells and another one that most people probably wouldn't think of in this context. But again, I think should be. Communication, I feel, is the basis of a successful relationship, to have both people understand what the other person wants and what they want from them. 
So to have a magically enforced truth to have such a conversation, I feel is incredibly valuable and useful for partners. And especially if there are people into, you know, kinkier things like uh, keep going back to bondage, but I really should. Eh, anyway, we're learning things, guys. <laughs> Oddly enough, I'm not actually that into it. It's just the first thing that comes to mind when like you hear the word kinky. That's just my immediate mental association. But anyway, zone of truth, useful. Uh, uh, all right. So last second level spell I've got here. And the one that is, well, there's actually two here. Sorry. Two spells that I would say are probably the most likely to be used for sexual purposes. First off, Alter Self. This is a spell that, unlike Disguise Self, which is the first level one, which is just an illusion, Alter Self is a transmutation spell, meaning that you are physically changed with Alter Self. And it is another one that is relatively flexible in terms of what you are able to do with it. So there are some limits to it, but this is one where I would say talk to your DM in terms of how much you could be allowed to bend things. So first off, you can have aquatic adaptation, which gives you gills webbing between your fingers and lets you breathe underwater and gain a swimming speed. So underwater sex is a go. So the next option, though, is the absolute one that I imagine that almost all low-level magic users that have this spell would use it for all the time. Change appearance. Decide what you look like, including height, weight, facial features, sound of your voice, hair length, coloration, and so distinguishing wait, characteristics. I've got a big question. Yes? Are you able to pretend to be a, a current person that exists? Most of it question. Like, another person. Technically? There's nothing that says exactly, that you can't. That's, that's pretty nasty, man. Yeah. Shit. Like, there's a reason that you would kind of need Zone of Truth, like, for criminal justice, as we talked about a few weeks ago, because it is so easy for someone to disguise themselves as someone else. Because, I mean, Alter Self is physical. So even if someone, like, poked to see if it was an illusion, it's not. And Alter Self is only a second level spell which means that a third level wizard or sorcerer would have access to this spell and that is something that's relatively available then within the world and not to mention so it actually goes even farther for what you can do with it you can make yourself appear as a member of another race though none of your statistics change you also can't appear as a creature of a different size than you and your basic shape stays the same if you're bipedal you can't use the spell to become quadrupedal for instance at any time for the duration of the spell, you can use your action to change your appearance in this way again. That is an awesome fucking spell in general, and an awesome spell for fucking. So, concentration up to an hour. So, one hour with a single second level spell is fantastic. So... This is definitely one of the spells that could argue is, what did you say, biggest dickus? Biggest so of you, dickus, yes. <laughs> so this spell, you could absolutely just be yourself, just with, you know, 14-inch penis. And the fact that you can also change your shape for the duration of the spell just as an action means that you can just use this flexibly to just change and that is just really cool so the limit does say that you can't change your size so you can't go from a human to gnome for example or you know gnome to human but medium creature is actually a fairly flexible distinction so that means that you could go in size from a dwarf to a goliath so you could basically go from like four to seven feet so if you wanted to just make yourself, you know, on the large side, you can just I am now like I could turn into Morris, for example, and just be, you know, six foot something muscles on muscles, you know, giant penis. And that would easily be doable with a second level spell. Um, not sexual related, but just still worth mentioning with the spell. If you do have yourself in that larger form, it would also be useful for like escaping from restraints. If you just end the spell or shift yourself into, you know, smaller, then you could just slip out of handcuffs made for the large form, which is also useful. Like Alter Self is an amazing spell. Uh, also worth mentioning for Alter Self 
uh, warlocks, I want to say at level 15, so rather high up there, have an Eldritch Invocation to allow them to cast Alter Self on themselves at will. So not even expending spell slots anymore, which honestly is probably a reason in world, or at least that's how I interpret it, of why warlocks might have the you know reputation as skilled lovers because if you have the ability to cast alter self without expending spell slots that could be quite beneficial so the other absolute often used spell would be enlarge reduce so also second level spell but enlarge reduce does have one critical weakness which is that it only has a duration of concentration of up to a minute however there are two separate, well, no, actually, that's not true. Three separate exceptions on making it more useful. So Potion of Growth is a canonical magic item in the basic rules that gives you the enlarge effect of enlarge reduce for 1d4 hours with no concentration. And that is an uncommon potion. So while that's definitely out of the realm of commoners to be able to afford casually, richer people in the world would absolutely have that available as an option. And I also just should mention uh, what Enlarge actually does. The target's size doubles in all dimensions, and its weight is multiplied by eight. The growth increases its size category by one from medium to large, for example. If there isn't enough room for the target to double its size, the creature or object attains the maximum possible size in the space available. And there's a few more talking about damage and such, but that's not relevant for this purpose. So there are quite a number of details that I feel the need to mention because it is known that I am a numbers nerd, hence doing this for episode 69. But in this case, doubling in size is a math that a lot of people mess up in terms of weight and volume. So it mentions that size doubles and weight multiplies by eight. And that is just important math to know because you are doubling in height, width, and length, all three physical dimensions. So that does also mean that in terms of, you know, penis size, for example, that that also would increase by a volume of eight because you are not just doubling in length. It is also your length and width to increase your girth by a factor of four. So people using this would have their the volume of their penis increase by eight. So yeah, people would use that a lot. Also, it's worth mentioning that because there is also that built-in safety feature of the creature attains the maximum possible size in the space available, I could absolutely interpret that as if you are using that mid-coitus, then that would mean that if that volume exceeds what would be comfortable to your partner, that the magic itself would stop at the maximum possible size in the space available. That is the phrasing of the spell, so that is how I would choose to interpret that in that situation, which would be quite useful for someone of you know average to large size to become, you know, the maximum that is safe for their partner. So it's nice that it has that kind of safety built into it. But again, the spell only lasts for a minute. But the potion version is 1d4 hours with no concentration required. And another fun thing that I would argue a large majority of D&D people don't know about at all is the fact that there's another version of the potion, for lack of a better phrase, which is in the Out of the Abyss book, there's actually an, a uh, fungus that has similar effects. So with that, there's a, what is it called? A bigwig, which is a forage tall mushroom with a thin stem and wide purple cap, a creature that eats one, is automatically affected uh, if they fail or just accept the magic, fail save or just accept the magic, then they are affected by the large effect for an hour automatically. And 10 minutes before the effect ends, they feel a tingling sensation, at which point they can sustain their current size by eating another one. <laughs> 
and it only it does end early if they eat the uh, reduce version which is called a pygmy wart which has the shrink version but otherwise it just is an a mushroom that gives this effect so technically speaking this mushroom only exists in the forgotten realms in this one set of caves and it even does specify that if it is outside of that place for an hour or more it loses that magical effect however if you just want to change those rules or just are in your own world that can have any rules you want then i would say that the fact that it is a mushroom which is something that is notorious for relatively easy growth then you could absolutely have more of these out there in your world. And considering how expensive a potion is, this is the kind of thing that I would argue would be massively cultivated around the world. Because again, if Viagra can make $1.5 billion a year for over a decade, then I cannot imagine that there would not be a market, even amongst the poor and middle class, to have something like this. And what's also kind of neat is that uh, they do also mention in uh, some of the description about these herbs that a single nibble can alter the size a little bit. So it's actually more flexible than the spell version. But even if you do just eat the entire mushroom, then that is incredibly, incredibly valuable. So to be honest, in my own world, this is something that is just out there and available because why wouldn't it be if something is that useful? Uh, so I did focus on the enlarged side of things, but I should also go ahead and mention that the spell does have an opposite effect and there is a mushroom and potion of the reduce part of enlarge reduce, which halves dimensions of the person in question. So that will make someone who is human go to you know goblin halfling gnome sized and there definitely is a kink out in the world of size play where there is a massive size differential between the participants so again it could be argued that there would be people who are into taking that to the extreme where you can have both effects where you can have one person take the enlarged mushroom and one people take the reduced mushroom i mean at that point penetration would likely be impossible but considering how much tinkerbell porn exists in the world there's definitely demand for that type of thing all right moving on oh boy all right, so now we get into another one that I would definitely say is questionable. And uh, I can only imagine what you're about to say, Nathan. Animate dead. Yay, necrophilia. There we go. <laughs> exactly what I expected. All right, so animate dead is a third level spell. So a little higher up, but still quite easily doable. And so now you get into a little bit more of the, you know, DM fiat of exactly how certain magics work in the world, because it is not official one way or another whether zombies rot. So if you did animate someone who is recently dead and continued using this spell to maintain the control on them, then would they be in that pristine condition of recent death? Or would the flesh of a zombie rot over time? Or again, is it just kind of sustained in their current state of rot by the magic of necromancy? There is not an official ruling one way or another. So it is up to the DM to decide which of those is the case. And whether this is something that is okay in the first place is also something that should be considered and discussed between, honestly, everyone at the table in question. Because as weird as it is to think about, I can see some uses in the world for that. Like in a situation where, you know, an attractive individual is in just a really bad life situation. I can understand people wanting to say like, okay, after I die, I give permission for, you know, this necromancer to animate my corpse to work in a mine and they just have to pay my family, you know, a hundred gold or a thousand gold, whatever, just to help them with their own lives. So kind of like a weird, not life insurance, but undeath insurance. I don't even know what the right wording for that would be. But the idea of, you know, having 
people willing to sell their bodies to a necromancer is something that I could understand existing in certain situations. So again, if there is a situation where, you know, a person is dying and they have like a final request and so they say to the necromancer, you know, you can have my body for whatever purpose you want or to even have the explicit agreement of, you know, I am beautiful. I accept that. So I would say it is not okay if you just kill someone and then animate them into your undead pleasure slave. But again, in a world where this magic exists, it would happen. Uh, There's a lot of this that I'm not comfortable with, but that's humans for you. Yay, magic. (laughs) Yeah. All right. uh, All right. Moving on. Water breathing. So this one, I would say, is actually another somewhat underappreciated spell. Third level spell that is ritual castable, so which would make it uh, 10 minutes and one action to cast without using a spell slot, which then will last for 24 hours. And the spell just lets you breathe underwater until the spell ends. So it doesn't give you a swim speed. It doesn't morph you the way that Alter Self does. But the fact that you could use this for 10 creatures to be able to breathe underwater for 24 hours, and again, with the ritual casting, without expending a spell slot even, would definitely mean that there would probably be a lot of underwater sex happening in coastal places that have magic users, or, you know, if there is a wizard academy with a pool. Oh boy, now we reach another one that I'm not super comfortable with. Death Ward. So I, I sincerely like feel like you've said that more than 15 times or something. Uh, yeah, you're right. That's <laughs> that's one to add for today's uh, R&R drinking game. Just every time I say that, take a sip. Anyway, Death Ward. Fourth level spell, eight hour duration. Touch a creature and grant it a measure of protection from death. The first time the target would drop to zero hit points as a result of taking damage, they drop to one hit point instead, and the spell ends. So, if someone is more into the pain side of pleasure in their lives, this is the spell to use as backup to actually still keep them safe. So this gives them that last-ditch protection from you know accidental death by autoerotic asphyxiation hey hey like what's going on let's just use the necromancy magic eh? (laughs) i mean to be fair there probably would be some particularly rich people out there who would like full-on like willingly kill their partner and then just cast raise dead to bring them back And I'm sure that that would be a kink to some people to literally, you know, fuck someone to death. I'm sure that such a thing would be a kink out there. But I prefer to think of people more using Death Ward to just get to that edge of things. I don't like thinking about people going past that Edging, you say? Yes. (laughs) Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and go on a tangent. That makes me remember. So there is a lot of spells as I've been going over these showing the many, many uses that canonical magic can use for being applied to sex. That does not mean that a DM could not make up their own. It is absolutely within a DM's realm of control to just make up any spell that they want. So instead of charm person, you can just change a charm effect to just deny orgasm or some such things. Also, so not 5th edition, but going back to 3rd edition and to the realm of the open gaming license available for that, I mean, I'm sure that there is a lot more sexual materials written than I am aware of, but I have myself two books that are created during that time period with the open gaming license. The Book of Erotic Fantasy and the Book of Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. And these are both things that were created during the open gaming license to be compatible with third edition rules. So you could absolutely get one or both of those books or any others that are around that I just don't know about to get inspiration for a lot more sexually oriented rules for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Also, because this is another question that I've unfortunately had come up at my table a couple of times with 
separate people. It's just something people want to know. How large is my character's dick? So if you do want to have rules for such a thing, that's unspeakably huge. (laughs) I mean, if you want to just have an idea, like, is an orc going to be bigger than a human by default? Yes. So in the book of unlawful carnal knowledge, there's actually a chart based on a creature's size and race of how large their penis may be. Unfortunately, this actually came up in my own game two days ago. Someone asked, hey, we have this mount that we like. How big is its penis? And so I looked up, Okay, if you have a huge sized creature, then it had then there is sections of based, you know, with some variations of it will be between X and Y. And then we just did a roll to get the exact number. Well, I do have to say, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, like, th- thank it's a question we don't that have comes that up sometimes. Uh, yet. Give Mitch time. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving along from that. Uh, but, but where am I? Fourth level spells. Fabricate is another of the spells that I am super fond of because it is just a spell that will convert raw materials into finished products. So it is often used to like make a bridge to allow a party to cross something or, you know, out of combat. A lot of the time it's used to explain like magical construction is using this spell. But in this case, the fact that you can produce any finished product out of raw materials would mean that you could just use this to like mass manufacture, you know, bondage material, sex toys, uh, you know, just sexual tools of any make and type that you can imagine. And the only limit on the spell is that you can't use it to make items that normally require high degree of craftsmanship unless you're proficient with artisan's tools. So if you had like, you know, jeweler proficiency, then you could use that to make any kind of, you know, nipple piercings that are connected to a chain and any just anything that you can imagine. And if you just have a related proficiency, then you could use Fabricate to make even a detailed object. And even if you're not proficient in any relevant tools, you could still make something like a dildo because that doesn't take a lot of engineering understanding to make such a thing. (sighs) Okay, another one that's getting into the slightly uncomfortable. So I did also mention that there are a lot of spells that would be useful, but have a more limited duration. And I'm just going to go ahead and mention one of those. It does only have that minute duration. But considering that, you know, our world shows that there is a demand for such a thing, I'm going to go ahead and mention it. And a DM can easily hand wave that if there is a potion of enlarge, then there could definitely be a potion version of this as well. Guardian of Nature. So this basically lets you transform into something bestial or into a great tree. So the primal beast version, bestial fur covers your body, your facial features become feral, and you gain a bunch of physical benefits that aren't super relevant, but just basically this is a spell that would let someone turn into a furry in actual physical transformation. So again, yeah, there'd be demand for that. So moving on along, Private Sanctum, another of those just super useful spells in general that can definitely be used for other purposes. So what's cool about this one in particular is that this is one of those spells that if you cast it every day in the same spot for a year, it becomes permanent. So that can be incredibly useful if you do just use this on your own home or use this on, you know, a love nest that you set up somewhere. But even if you just cast the basic version, it's a 24 hour duration for the spell. Uh, Fourth level, so not quite as accessible as the ones we've gone over so far. Sound can't pass through the barrier at the edge of the warded area. Hmm. Yeah, this one I think is rather obvious in how that could be particularly useful. And oh, another really useful detail about this spell. When you cast it, you decide what sort of security provides, choosing any or all of the following. So you can just pick if there's parts of this that you find useful, 
but you can also just dismiss it early if you choose. Like, it's a really flexible spell, actually. But also, the barrier of the ward appears dark and foggy, preventing vision, including dark vision, through it. So sound can't pass, people can't see through it. Uh, fun fact, though, one exception, dark vision is prevented because this is a magical darkness. However, warlocks have access to an eldritch invocation that allows them to see through magical darkness. So such warlocks would be able to see through this, which again, warlocks can be very kinky. Anyway. Yes, Remy lo- loves warlocks. Remember, guys, you know why now. Um <laughs> Not only, but yeah. I mean, I actually did think about that one day, just tangent on the tangent, about thinking like, what spell would be the most suited for, like what class would be the most suited for me, what would make me the most powerful, and what would just make me the most comfortable in my day-to-day. And uh, technically speaking, like I would be more powerful as a wizard, and I am actually well-suited for wizardry, you know, just based on you know, my intelligence versus my not great charisma when it comes to people. So I argument could and has in my own mind been made about like, I might be better off as a wizard, but I really like the powers you get from Warlock. So yeah, you mean you're not wrong. (laughs) Anyway, uh, going back, still on Private Sanctum. So again, this spell has a lot of effects. Sensors created by divination spells can't appear in the protected area or pass through the barrier at its perimeter. Can't be spied on as easily. Creatures in the area can't be targeted by divination spells. Nothing can teleport into or out of the warded area. Planar travel is blocked within the warded area. That is a lot of effects to make it so if you don't want to get interrupted while you're banging someone, then you're a lot safer if you have this spell up. All right. Oh, boy. All right, we're getting to yet another of the uncomfortable ones. Polymorph. Polymorph allows you to turn a creature into a beast form. However, this spell does replace their mental ability scores with the creature. So while this spell should not be used because then that removes the ability of choice and consent, I want to bring this up to tangent to druids. What is the line of acceptability when a druid has wild shape? Because when a druid transforms, they have their mind still fully in control of the animal's body. So is it bestiality if a druid turns into a horse, for example? What's your opinion, Remy? I mean, it's not something that I would find to be sexually exciting myself. But judging, again, by the sheer amount of porn that exists on the internet about it, there does seem to be desire for it. So Humans are weird. In my own, so in my own D&D world, I actually did think about this very subject, and the decision that I landed on for, you know, the laws of my world are, it is okay with any creature that is able to give consent. So consent is the line. So if you have a druid in an animal form, I mean, it would not be the most acceptable thing depending on where you are, but it's not, you know, stone them to death side of wrong. So if you have a druid who is who is in such a form, like they can get away with that. Or if you have a was it transmutation wizard, I want to say that can keep their mind in a polymorph form. So anything that has a shape change is okay. And the line gets fuzzier still if you consider a spell like Awaken, which grants sentience to something. So let's say, you know, a ranger decides to grant sentience to their animal companion, and so they are now a sentient creature. Would, you know, a developing love between such people be acceptable? And again, even though one of them is not human, then they are fully sentient permanently by use of that spell. So while I personally am not the most comfortable with such a thing, I also couldn't deny two sentient people that love each other. Because again, consent is where I draw the line. Sentient cup. It's like, whoa. Well, so there is actually the limit on the awakened spell, at least, which is that that particular spell 
grant sentience to a beast or plant. So There's you can have an awakened tree. You could have an awakened wolf, awakened horse. Uh, I keep thinking of the animal as the male, Horses. but I should not. That is just my own personal biases speaking. So either party could be any animal, and that is a thing that can happen. But again, like I said, I'm not super comfortable with that as well. But as long as everyone in the party is able to give consent and does so, fine. All right. So we are definitely getting up there in terms of levels of spells at this point. So things are getting to be a little bit funny, let's say, in how spells could be used. So... Let's go ahead and just say when you have a perverted magic user, as appears to be all of them based on all the things I've been going through here, that if someone just wants to use summoning magic for sexual purposes, funny enough, by rules as written, you cannot summon a succubus easily, even though that is what I would assume to be the default for such a thing. because. By rules as written, demons and devils are separate creatures. They are subtypes of fiend, but separate. And there is a spell to summon devils, and there is a spell to summon demons. There is not a spell to just summon generic fiends. So you have some creatures that don't fall into either of those two camps. And Succubus, oddly enough, does fall into that category, as well as Hellhounds. And honestly, there's a bunch of other, you know, non-demon or devil fiends in the books. But that means then that those types of creatures cannot be summoned by those usable spells. So whether as a DM you would want to just kind of bend the rule and say, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. If you want to summon a succubus and have, you know, infernal calling or, you know, summon demon, summon greater demon rather, then yeah, like I would argue that I, I've mentioned before how much I hate that arbitrary divide between demons and devils. And this is just a coincidental situation that does fall into that. But yeah, but if someone does want to, you know, summon a succubus, fine, I don't care. And honestly, that would explain a lot about, you know, the wizards in the woods, because if you are able to, you know, create food and water, if you're able to, you know, summon company of the gender of your choice, then yeah, like you don't really need to leave the house anymore. And uh, actually just a kind of interesting thing that I discovered in doing this reading so succubus and incubus are creatures from mythology, but in D&D, they're actually the same creature. So because of the fact that they are shapeshifters, which is another good reason to want to summon one for sexual purposes, then the fact of a creature's designation, whether it is considered to be a succubus or incubus, is actually just due to its personal preference. So they choose their sexual identity, whether they identify as male or female, or considering that they are shapeshifters, anything that they want to be in between. So if you want to have, you know, Fudas in the world, they can be, because with their really not super limited shapeshifting, that is easily well within their abilities. So to want to summon such a creature is understandable, because they could quite literally be anyone that you want them to be, or anything that you want them to be, because, again, their shapeshifting is pretty versatile. So obviously there is a lot of magic that can be applied to sexual situations, but I'm just going to jump ahead to one last spell, True Polymorph, because that one has some interesting abilities as well as questions in its usage. So True Polymorph is a ninth level spell, so the pinnacle of magic that D&D characters can have access to. But what is so interesting about it in this case especially is that a creature is permanently transformed into whatever you use this spell to turn them into after you just concentrate on it for its full hour. So you can just turn someone into, you know, a more beautiful version of themselves if that's the thing that you're trying to do. You could turn a person into a dragon, and if you do a metallic dragon, then they could then shapeshift themselves into whatever they or you want them to be. But where it gets a little weird is that you also have the power to turn an object into a living sentient creature. 
So this spell allows someone to just flat out create life just with one casting of this spell. And it's true that you don't have any kind of control over the creature, but the fact that you can just quite literally make your ideal lover is kind of both interesting and a little creepy. So while there are a lot of spells that can be applied to sex, there are also any number of magic items that can be used for that purpose. But that really does come down more to the creativity of the DM. So for this episode's sake, I'm not going to go into those now. If this is something that you want to hear a part two on, then let us know. But to summarize, there is a lot in Dungeons and Dragons that can be used for sexual purposes. And if that is something that you at your table are interested in, then you've got a lot of options available to you. So have fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So, so support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier stars lowers a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where you'll be able to chat the cast and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs and rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.